You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. The views and opinions expressed on this show do not necessarily represent those of the network, its advertisers, owners, or sponsors. Reunetti on ice. That's nice. Like love, it's pure and natural. Cheers. Ugh. Coming to you from Podcast Detroit, it's Heard, your food, beverage, and hospitality podcast. Heard is a collaboration between the Hungry Dudes, Nick Drinks, and the Detroit Optimist Society. Each week, we interview industry professionals about issues related to food, beverage, and hospitality. Please take a moment to subscribe to Heard through the Apple Podcast app, Google Play, SoundCloud, or however you subscribe to your podcast. Write a review and let us know what you think. For additional content, including awesome videos and photos, visit HerdPodcast.com. Like Herd Podcast on Facebook and follow at Herd Podcast on Instagram. We appreciate your support and hope you enjoy this week's episode of Herd. Hello, friends, and welcome to Herd, your food, beverage, and hospitality podcast. I'm Joe Hakeem, and tonight I'm joined by Nick. I'm so sorry, everyone. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you may have heard at the beginning here that we uh, ran a little Reuniti. Um, I don't know. It wasn't an ad. We're definitely not sponsored by Reuniti. But Nick brought some Reuniti because it's hot on YouTube right now. It's hot on the grams and the things the and grams. the places. Okay. Are people like making fun of the old ad or something? Sure. Okay. Would you introduce our other guest? Yeah, Jason's here. That's nice. <laughs> <laughs> you remember your line. <laughs> and our special guest, the chef owner of uh, our Detroit's best Thai restaurant for six of the last seven years, uh, Comb Phi, Isaiah Sanju. Isaiah, thanks for being with us. What's happening, guys? Thanks for having me. Can uh, I just point out that Reuniti um, pairs well with spicy cuisine like Mexican, Thai, and Indian dishes. Yeah, and we do have some spicy Thai food in front of us. So I'm uh, so glad we brought that Lambrusco. Isaiah, talk about what you brought here real quick. So we brought a couple of curries for you guys to try. Wanted to kind of get uh, run the gamut of different flavor profiles. So we did our yellow curry. Uh, it's going to be like turmeric and tamarind heavy. We have our uh, Masman curry. We call our potato curry. It's going to be more like Christmas spices with clove and cardamom and stuff like that. And then lastly, we brought our classic red curry, and it is smoking hot. It's made with uh, Thai chilies. There's some ghost chili peppers inside. So, Is that like white people smoking hot or like Thai people smoking hot? <laughs> That's anybody smoking okay. hot. <laughs> Great. That's nice. Yeah, we'll get into <laughs> get into these a little bit later. Let's uh, Let's start with a couple of... Uh, couple bits of news. Uh, Negroni week is next week. It is. Um, Nick, what's a Negroni? A Negroni is equal parts uh, sweet vermouth, gin, and Campari. So Negroni week is like a, a kind of a drinking for a good cause. It's Imbibe, right? Are they sponsoring it or is it USBG? Imbibe and Campari. Yeah. And Campari. Okay, that makes sense because yeah. they're making probably bank off of this. Yeah. But you, um, you actually sign up. Your bar signs up for it, which I think it's 
June 1st. You actually have a couple days yeah. if you hear this. You, you sign up by June 1st. Yeah, your bar signs June 4th. Up. I don't think you can just serve Negronis out of your house. I mean, you can try. Right. But um, I, like a buck or two from Negronis goes to a charity. Jason, do you know? Because you're... You have bars in it, right? Yes. Okay. The Sugar House is participating this year. Okay. The Detroit Riverfront Conservancy is the uh, right is what we because it's local is what we've yeah. been uh, supporting the last few years that I know of. So obviously, every other place is going to choose their own, but that's what we've got going on. So and yes, Sugar House a, picks that, or USBG Detroit picks that. Uh, I believe the USBG Detroit okay, picked cool. that originally. So they're not getting like ten bucks. No, everybody should be contributing to that. Okay, I believe so. Thirty bucks. Yeah. Everybody like in the whole region, so not not just no Detroit. no no Detroit, just Detroit. Yeah. So if there's bars outside of Detroit doing it, because uh, like, Grand Rapids also has three bars, I believe. Okay. So mm. they might have another. They have a different USBG chapter, right? They? Right. Yeah. So this so is drinking for a good cause. Yeah. 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 And then and uh, the groanies are delicious. They're right. so easy to make. So on Monday, also the Grand Garnisher uh, from Hendrix is oh, going to be at yeah. Campus Marshes. Um, it's going to also be at Otis Supply on Friday the first, one to seven on one Monday. Yeah, and then a uh, happy hour at Otis Supply. So if you don't know what that is, go look it up. It's basically this like steampunk crazy convention invention that it makes drinks, right? Well, it cuts cucumbers from what the article says. Okay, so yeah. it's not the it's a grand garnisher. Just make sure your it makes sure it makes sure your cocktail is garnished properly. So it's like a Rube Goldberg garnisher. I, I don't know. Yeah, do you know who Rube Goldberg is? I don't. Okay. Yeah, Jason. No, really, Isaiah. Sorry. No one knows who Rube Goldberg is? Jessica? Oh, my God. Go, please? He made these crazy inventions. So, like, all those, like, those like uh, like doing a very simple task that takes, like, 47 steps to do, that's a Rube Goldberg invention. Good Lord. All right. He extends out the... Well, you, I'm pretty sure he's dead. Okay. But, like, it's, like, the whole concept of that. You take a very simple task, and you try to figure out how many ways you can make it more complicated. Oh, that sounds like fun. <laughs> Need a smarter, um, smarter podcast. The, the, the kind of strange thing is that uh, the USBG event is being uh, touted as like a start to Negroni week, but you wouldn't make a Negroni with Hendrix necessarily, sure you would. would you? Why not? What? Okay, gin. Isn't it like a cucumber? Like a cucumber? So, <laughs> I mean, here's the thing: the Campari is the Campari. Yeah. So you're kind of stuck with Campari. So therefore, your variables are going to be what type of gin you use uh-huh. and what type of sweet vermouth, and okay. well, and other spirits as well. It's not just gin. So they're they're kind of you can go out of the gambit. So then, yes. how far out even can the you go? last year the uh, Negroni Week uh, booklet that they had some recipes in was like the Jamaican Negroni, which was a rum variation. So you just need Campari then. That was my argument earlier. Okay. Is that you know Negroni Week USBG imbibed and Campari like it's not Campari is the necessary ingredient in Negroni, not necessarily the gin would be my argument. Got it. Okay. Although gin is certainly. The original and right, right, right. most widely. So you're probably going with something more kind of botanical herbal. I would and, imagine. Yeah. Well, if you think about the flavor components, because, you know, Campari is a citrus, yeah, yeah, bittersweet citrus, vermouth, herbal, fortified. Right. 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 Gin. Gin. Yeah. Gin, gin. So there you go. Yeah. Cool. And Negroni Week, once again, June 4th to, through the 10th. Are you getting paid by them or something? I'm not. You're just you're all I, hyped I like, about Negroni like, Week. I'm like so excited. Negronis. I don't know. I mean the <laughs> bourbon, the bourbon Negroni, <laughs> the Boulevardier. Boulevardier. Ah, yes, that, yes, yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then uh, Lady of the House from Corktown got Hells, written yeah. up in the New York Times. She gets written Pete up every Wells. week, like um, some sort of news every week from her. I feel like it was a pretty glowing write up by uh, the New York Times. That's, well, you know. have you had the carrot thing? 
I have not. Have you? Yes. Okay. I've probably had it 10 times. Really? Anyone else had the carrot thing? No. It's magic. Have you I had, had the Parisian Isaac? ham and it was pretty great. I own a restaurant. I don't go anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> so um, so Pete Wells talks at length about this thing called oh the carrot s- oh, steak, right? So, so good. Um, there's a photo of it in the article as well. Yeah. Um, when you live with a vegetarian and you find something that magical that's not meat-based, you eat it a lot. Yeah. And it's totally worth it. Yeah, it looks like it, it would be. Um, I'm, I'm fascinated by it, and we'll go try it as soon as I possibly can. Tonight. Okay. All right. All right. Um, but congratulations to Kate and crew. Uh, it's pretty awesome to be written up there. Absolutely. Yeah. All right, Isaiah. Let's talk home fly. Let's talk Thai food. Um, how? Where did the idea for home fly come from? I don't mean to brag. We were written up in the Sterling Sentinel. <laughs> oh. No, uh, comb fi, uh, <laughs> so the idea of comb fi, if you guys have seen, they're becoming more popular. Uh, every 4th of July, there's those lanterns that you light on fire and they kind of float away. Hmm. Uh, that's what a comb fi is. And I thought it was cooking in its own fat. No, I think it's comb fi is what you're thinking about. <laughs> uh, there is no French food at the restaurant. Um, but the idea, it's, uh, it, they're released during the Yiping Festival in Thailand every year. You put your fears and your cares and your worries into them, they float away. And so we kind of wanted to. Can we put Nick in them and let him float away? <laughs> so I've done this before and we did it on the lake and it definitely floated over towards a very expensive house and we panicked. Mm. We're like, we're going to light that house on fire. We're all going to go to jail. Yeah. So it's a fun time. Fun time. Uh, by all. <laughs> but we just wanted to kind of embody that in the restaurant. I want people to come in and relax and enjoy themselves and kind of let us cook for them. So that's the idea. Nice. How long have you guys been open? So we've been open uh, eight years now. Um, funny we get onto this. We're coming close to our anniversary again, which is going to be in September, which is when we plan on opening uh, the next restaurant. So I guess it's kind of continuation of the first one. We're going to be closing this restaurant in Shelby Township, and we're moving uh, just a couple miles down the road to Macomb, but we're kind of running out of space as the days go by and uh, be nice to kind of So that's a good out. problem to have. It is some days, as long as uh, carrots don't take an hour and people don't have to wait an hour to sit down. It's it's good. So, so h- how big is the expansion that you guys are making? So we're going from fourteen hundred square feet now to three thousand, um, which is double the space. But man, if you've been in there, we only seat like thirty five. That's like ten tables, and uh, on a Friday or Saturday night, that's filled up by five thirty. So, you know, it'll be nice to have a little room. Uh, we're going to be putting a bar in there. We've had our liquor license for years. Um, and it's nice to move beer and wine and try to move some spirits, you know, uh, without seeing a bar. But we kind of want to take it to the next level. You know, I'm, I'm a spirits enthusiast, so it would be nice to be able to kind of flex our muscles there a little bit and um, and get on to catering, do some more events, you know. So I, I think with a with a 35 seat restaurant and a, and a liquor license, you you can't push people out. If they sit down and they want to have a drink before dinner. They want to have a drink after dinner. Is that the part of the reason the move is happening? Because is that what you're finding? Yeah. So that's the that's the paradox we find ourselves in, right? We want people to come and sit and relax and enjoy themselves, but then we want to turn tables. You know, I mean, for the sake of getting some more folks in there, they're waiting. It's uncomfortable. You don't want people kind of staring at anyone. So we want to be able to offer that. And like eight years ago, that was possible. People would stay, they could luxuriate, do whatever they want, have some drinks afterwards, and. um and now we're happy to still accommodate, obviously, but there's just a little bit more demand. So, uh, from a cocktail side, are you doing anything that, like, are you trying to bring in Thai spirits or Thai flavors, or how does that work? Yeah, so we like to do everything Asian inspired. So my dad is from Thailand, and my mom is from here. Mm-hmm. It's interesting being first generation to America, so we have this authentic food. We have these recipes that my grandmother taught 
you know, my dad to cook. My dad taught me to cook. I'm not classically trained, just so we're clear. Um, but then we have an opportunity to kind of give folks an experience that's more Americanized and feel, right? So we get to match these great flavors with this um, updated service. And so uh, we're going to look into more things that are imported here. There's not a ton of Thai spirits. We obviously carry Thai beers. Um, you know, I always have stuff in my personal collection from Thailand that we have. Is my Kong? Yeah, that's a, it's a whiskey. Yeah. And I put it in quotations because um, – it's pretty cheap, right? It, it is. Yeah. You know, the funniest thing people always ask what the most popular beer in Thailand is, and it's always Chang beer. And so they're excited to try it. But the truth is, it's the <laughs> cheapest beer in Thailand. That's the only reason it's the uh, the most popular. But yeah, we have some ideas to do some Thai inspired Bloody Marys. The next one, we want to bring a little bit of tiki back. I know it's had a resurgence in Detroit lately. Yeah. Uh, the suburbs could use a little bit of it. The suburbs could use a lot yes. of a lot. 100%. And that's part of the reason we decided not to move into Detroit or Royal Oak or. You know, Clarkson or even some of those areas because um, you got to give the suburbs some love too, right? Too many, too many chain restaurants. So getting into this food here, right? You are literally so, getting into the food as I you're am. talking. Yeah. yeah. Excuse the, you know, talk with my mouth full, but whatever. Um, so the first one that we're getting into here is this ye- the yellow curry. Yeah, the yellow curry. Uh, that's the one. Yeah, on your plate there we got some carrots and some peppers and potatoes and onions. Um like I said, this one is uh, turmeric and tamarind heavy. It's closer to like uh, an Indian curry if you've had it before. I'm sure you have. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of have those flavors. This curry is a hit in every single one of our pairing events, man. We do um, wine pairings. We do beer pairings. We we just did a bourbon pairing. We did a champagne pairing. Every single time, yellow curry is a hit. I don't want to put it on the menu anymore for those pairings, but it's just too good of a, a pairing. So, Why do you think it works so well? Uh, I think the flavor profile matches really well. Like when we're doing wine – like you get a really nice gewürztraminer, mm-hmm. or you get something mm-hmm. semi-sweet. If you can find a reasoning that it's not not too sweet, a little bit off dry, like a lambrusco. Uh, not quite, <laughs> although a nice soft red certainly. <laughs> um, it just the flavors just lend themselves so well. And the, okay, so then the next one here is your masaman. The masaman curry. We call it our potato curry. So our whole menu is in English. We're trying to make it approachable, right? We uh, we still want to serve authentic Thai food, but we want to do it in a way that guests that have never had Thai before don't don't feel intimidated. So call it our potato curry. It's also red curry. Um, the only reason it's a lighter in color um, is because it doesn't have the same uh, spice profile. So they all get their colors from Thai chilies, right? Yellow curry is made from red Thai chilies, but it's got turmeric and tamarind that turn it yellow. Um, this masaman curry is going to be more of like, uh, like I said before, Christmas spices. It's my wife's favorite. She loves clove and she likes cinnamon and nutmeg and cardamom, those kind of flavors. And that's kind of predominantly what you get in the spice profile from this one. Lends itself well to spice but um, has tons of flavor if you don't like a lot of spice to it. So it's kind of like a crossover curry. It's really accessible. And then the final one is got – it's got shrimp in it. This is hot as hell. Yeah, that one is uh, pretty hot. So you can get all the food as hot or as you know not hot as you'd like. Um, I brought some for you today that I want to show you kind of like the upper limits of it. Uh, this red curry. Uh, Holy shit. Oh, <laughs> it's really great with seafood, oh, so it does well with shrimp. Yeah, that has um, some spank. <laughs> and uh, it also lends itself to really, really spicy uh, styles Ooh. of eating. Uh, pairs really well with uh, pretty much everything, but you want like a nice heavy bourbon with this guy. You want an IPA to drink with. You want something that's going to be bitter and cut some of the spice. Nick's got a fire extinguisher. <laughs> Holy mackerel. I, I, now, now, okay. Ghost so chilies don't mess around. So with this really fiery 
the ghost chilies, like the alcohol doesn't accentuate the heat. It uh, cools it. So typically if it's bitter, it's going to cut, right? So anytime time you have anything really spicy, anything real bitter is going to cut the amount of spice that you have. So that's why a curry and IPA has always been a classic pairing. Um, unfortunately with this one, ghost chili is on kind of like a whole nother level. Thai chilies are 500,000 on the Scoville scale, right? The units of measurement of spice. A ghost chili pepper is like 1.25 million. Stop. So I don't think even the strongest bourbon, I don't know how much it's going to cut this guy. It's probably honestly going to overpower it still, but uh, definitely an experience to have it. It's really good. Yeah, it's great. It's cool because it <laughs> still has some of the flavor, but um, you know, you, get to, you don't want to overdo it so much. But, man, there's some heat freaks out there. We People get the ghost, ghost chili curry all the time. Is it safe to cook in the kitchen? Uh, you know, we did a curry contest in our first year opening, and we made one. How did I was I in that contest. Had. Oh, you were in that contest. <laughs> I was in the contest. Oh my god! Uh, the only winner was a woman who said she couldn't feel her taste buds anymore. She threw shots of Tabasco when she was a kid. <laughs> but um, that was the hottest curry I've ever made, and I think we presented it with a gas mask that day. You did. I remember that. Um, yep. But that was pretty lethal. Make sure you wash your hands. Make sure you're wearing gloves. That stuff's pretty insane. <laughs> so. But it's okay to cook in your kitchen. Like ventilation's cool. Like oh yeah, oh yeah. You'll see the guys. Sometimes they'll tie a, they'll tie their bandana around their face <laughs> if they got to cook it. But um, it's I mean it's it's pretty intense. Have you used the scorpion pepper yet? You know I haven't. Man, this is hot enough. I always think about that. <laughs> we taste all of our food that goes out. I tasted this food today. That's why I'm good. I don't need to taste it now. <laughs> but um, when I see people eat an entire portion, I I can't believe it. Honestly. Uh, I couldn't imagine eating a scorpion. Uh, there's a hotter pepper now. I, what is it? The uh, it's a man-made pepper though. It's not a naturally occurring pepper. I don't even remember what it's called anymore. But they, it's crazy what they got out there. Yeah. Um. There's one. The hell is it? It's, it's um. It's only used for. It's not supposed to be digested. It's only supposed to be used for topical usage because it oh helps with God. pain. Um. It's like pure capsaicin. Yeah. Or something. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Um, Carolina Reaper is hotter than the ghost chili too. Oh, I yeah. think. I mean, there's lots. Yep. I have to go uh, buy some milk. I'll be right back. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so the main thing about uh, Thai food uh, is the, the five flavors, right? Hot, sour, sweet, salty, bitter. It's all supposed to be balanced in one, as one. Correct? Most definitely. Okay, so kind of explain the components as as you see it. Like, how how do you build a balanced Thai dish? So that's the cool thing. There are so many Thai dishes that have that kind of built in. Now, there are other dishes where some flavors kind of um, take the stage when it comes to that. You want a little bit of each. Um, but there are certainly some Thai dishes like papaya salad um, is probably – <laughs> papaya salad is probably – That's nice. The, the, not, it's strong, right? I'm sorry to interrupt. Like, no. Damn, man. You know what's crazy too? Some people think if you eat it fast enough, like if you eat hot wings or like habanero or something, if you eat it fast enough, it doesn't affect you till the end kind of. This gets hotter and oh, hotter and everybody. hotter. Yeah. Yep. Which one is this? The, Dude, the, you need the, a handkerchief to like wipe your, <laughs> wipe your brow constantly. It is intense. But what we were saying before, like the papaya salad is a perfect balance of all those things, right? So you're going to get some sweetness from the palm sugar. You're gonna get um, you're gonna get that savory, and you're gonna get that salty from fish sauce, and you're gonna get some tart from some lime, and you're gonna get some acidity from a uh, tomato. You're gonna get some bitter from the green bean. You're gonna get bitter from uh, a green papaya, right? And it's really cool um, to get all those flavors in one dish. It's it you you know we're used to in a lot of other cuisines like one overpowering the other, but I get I think Thai food is more about um, a perfect harmony of all those things, right? Um, 
And even though you use rustic flavors in each individual dish that you try to make stand out, you always get that perfect harmony and that balance. And is, it, is this true across like the gamut of Thai dishes? Like every dish is built with balance in mind? Pretty much. I mean, like we see in these curries here, you're not going to get um, all of them to be equally balanced, but you should have each one of those components in there. So if you're eating this red curry the way, you know, without any spice in it, you're going to get probably a little more spice than anything. You're going to get uh, the Thai basil is going to have like an anise flavor to it, a little bit of a black licorice taste. So you're saying without any um – Pepper, like heat. Yeah, without, okay. Yeah, without okay, adding heat, any heat, yeah, like okay. in, like the one because we brought today. Because the spice today. is still there. Um, I, I've heard people say, "Is it spicy?" Well, spicy means two things, right? So you can either have spicy hot, like this ghost pepper, or the chili, or you can have spicy uh, cardamom, or mm-hmm. like spicy that way, right? One hundred percent. So okay. we're talking about more about like hot. Yeah. So if you don't put the ghost chili in it, right, you still have a little bit of that spice from the from the Thai chilies, um, and you're going to get some sweetness. You know, there's there's palm sugar inside. Um, you know, there's a lot of palm sugar, uh, and it's awesome. And it goes, you know, with the curry, you're gonna get some of the coconut milk to give you some of that saltiness and some of that creaminess. So you do get that balance, and pretty much you want to at least in pretty much every dish. And does this reflect some like something more about Thai culture in general, like the balance that goes in the food? Yeah, you know, I haven't gotten that deep with it. <laughs> um, no, but it makes sense. I, I feel like um, when you go to Thailand, it's a, a different situation here right it seems a little bit more go with the flow type of thing um i don't know it just seems like more people are Taoists out here than it is out here right i feel like you're rushing around to do so much here and they kind of just work with what they've got and kind of just uh live the life that they have so so i'd like to talk about like thai so thai food is like a general kind of like a i want to say michigan or like American Thai food. It seems like the dishes kind of like match up across different Thai restaurants, right? And it just becomes a matter of the people making them within each restaurant. Is that a true statement? Yeah, the dishes pretty much match up. Uh, It's interesting. The flavor profiles certainly are different, right, based on where you're from. Everyone has that in every cuisine. We're talking about uh, northern Italian food being completely different than southern Italian food and so on. There was this weird movement in the 90s where – there was a lot of ketchup and tomato paste and pad thai on the West Coast. Just no. some interesting things I'm telling you, man. And it's strange. Um, so people come from other places and be like, this is completely different. Uh, but for the most part, with the exception of a few dishes, if you go order something at one Thai restaurant, it might taste a little different. But the same dish is available, which is kind of cool. Every once in a while, they'll throw in something wacky. People come in and ask us for stuff I've never heard of. Or stuff that is clearly not a real dish and they want you to make it. Someone asked me for crazy noodles one time mm-hmm. and she's like, it doesn't taste like I expected it to. And I'll be, I said, I'll be honest. I don't know what it's supposed to taste like. So, um, But with the exception of that, most of the dishes are pretty traditionally the same at each restaurant. What are crazy noodles? Still don't know. <laughs> Still haven't figured it out. Now, see, isn't Thai food, though, just Pad Thai noodles? Basically, that's all it is. You know, I've got people that have been coming in since the first day eight years ago and they still have only ordered Pad Thai. Because I – I know I, I tried to make it once myself many many years ago when I was in the an apartment, and it didn't call for fish sauce. And I and not no I had no idea what I was getting into. I'm like this doesn't taste right. There's a there's a myriad of reasons it's not going to taste right at home. I mean, hey, no joke. Like one of the biggest things is the walks that we cook on. I mean, each one of those things is like a jet burner with concentrated heat, and they cook at like a hundred thousand BTUs a piece. There's no way you're still You're saying it might. Uh, electric stove didn't get that hot. <laughs> it's just not going to be able to do it. So like when we eat it at home, if we're eating Thai food at home, it's a different story. We'll simmer curry for a while. We'll make more soups and more noodles that simmer in something. But um, or what we can, needs the walk? 
we can bake or fry, but if you're making a fried rice at home, there's no way. I, I don't care how hot your skillet is or if you bought a really cool flat bottom wok for your stove at home, it's just not going to be hot enough. Um, most of the stir fries, there's – man, there's this thing. I don't even know what it's called. There's this unspoken thing. There's this taste that can only be achieved through wok cooking. And, um, man, if you if you taste them side by side, you're just missing that sear. And it's not a burn. I don't know how to explain it. It's like just deep and rich. You just can't achieve it without having a wok set up. So. Hmm. Nick's a do-it-yourself guy, so I feel like he's – being challenged right now to like, well, there's got to be some way that you can. Yeah, there are create. people get that get like turkey, uh, like the turkey fryer outdoor things, or like the paella pans and do stuff like that. But um, yeah, I think you're totally right. I mean, short of getting like a way high end, you know, like Viking or Wolf, you're not getting any kind of heat at home. They have a portable wok burner that is pretty darn close. It's not as heavy duty. You know, we were really fortunate because we take our show on the road every year that we've won our Detroit magazine. We go to the party and we cook live there. And we have portable walk ranges we actually bought from Wolfgang's when they closed at MGM Grand. Um, brand new, never used, which maybe is part of the reason. Um, <laughs> brand new, and those things kick out pretty high heat too. They're probably closer to fifty or 60,000 BTUs. But, I mean, for the setup, it's really cool. So I'm sure they make them for outdoor use. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know. Short of spending 3500 bucks, I don't know if it's worth it for fried rice. But, I mean, you could just come see me instead. Oh, it's a great idea. So is any Thai restaurant worth their salt? Like they have this – these cooking uh, – these 100,000 BTU stoves. Is that part of the cook the Thai cooking experience? Oh, yeah. Every one of them. They better. I mean I, I've never seen a restaurant, a, a Thai restaurant that doesn't. Um, you know, I've seen some uh, – you know, I obviously won't name any restaurants, but I've seen some like fusion restaurants or I've seen some restaurants that serve uh, a particular style of food and they also have some Thai food on the menu – and they cook uh, some of these things in like saute pans, and it is, it's strange to me. Now, I'm not saying the food's not good. It's just a little bit different. Um, and if, you know, we're, I'm just used to, I guess, a certain way. So, how do you learn to cook at that high heat? Like, it almost seems dangerous. You know, it's pretty controlled. You'd be surprised once you do it. You know what it is, though. Uh, I mean, every once in a while, you get an oil flare up, and when that thing lights up, it is, it is hot <laughs> and it is tall. Um, but honestly, uh, you kind of start on a lower heat too. The hardest part is not the danger of cooking in front of the wok. It's being able to cook at such a high heat without burning it. Mm. That's the trick. You don't want to saturate people's food in oil. No one wants that. And that's one thing we pride ourselves on, right? You're not going to get a whole bunch of oil in your food, but you're still going to get that great sear that you're going to get from a wok cooking. And that's the hardest part. That's the part that we develop over a long time. You know, my dad's been in the restaurant business for, I don't know, no joke, probably like 40 years now. And my dad is an absolute god in the kitchen, and uh, it's just every day we try to get closer and closer and closer. And I've only probably been doing this since I was 14, right? So about 15, 16 years, and I feel like sometimes I can't touch his food still. But that is probably the biggest challenge mm. that we face as far as like learning to cook Thai food really authentically and do it well. So for, for Comb Phi, where do you guys like position yourselves like in the midst of like uh, you know your, your kind of traditional, authentic or whatever – you want to say Thai restaurant versus like a Takoy or a Pak Pak or something like that that's kind of like pushing the limits of maybe using Thai as a jumping off point. So where does Comb Phi like sit in that continuum? Yeah, so we're kind of right in between. So uh, when I went to um, Takoy, uh, Brad does an unbelievable job with this food. It's really interesting. It's like you're eating super traditional Thai food and then it's like you're not, if that makes sense, and it's not a knock. Um, and it's very, very good. 
Um, and it's definitely a scene. So we're more of a kind of go every week. We have guys that stop by on their lunch break two, three, four times a week to eat um, that you can go every day. It's not as much of a scene like that. But we definitely want to push the limits of what a traditional Thai restaurant is. Um, you know, the new build out when it comes up, I'm really excited to share with you guys. It's, it's going to be really interesting. It's going to be really modern, especially out for Macomb Township. Um, but it's going to give people the opportunity to still have that everyday kind of food just in an atmosphere that kind of suits Thai like other people haven't so far. I guess we have a really good opportunity since most Thai restaurants, the the people that open them and run them are still very traditional. They still have a, a, an old school mentality. My dad's the same way. He's got you know gold and silver ornate in his restaurant, hundred dishes on his menu. It's a little bit daunting. This is going to give you, you know, our family's like best thirty five, best forty recipes. This is going to give you an opportunity to come do a champagne pairing with Thai food and find out information you you never thought you could do because no one's doing that stuff. I I don't know any other Thai restaurants that are doing these pairings. Um, but it's more about the educational side. We're going to have this great cocktail bar that's going to match with your food um, and give kind of a modern twist, but still, but still keep within the realm of traditional food, you know? I mean, I don't know a lot of Thai places that have alcohol much past beer. Yeah, and it's funny because when you go in, sometimes you're like, oh, how long has it been sitting there? I don't know if I want to order that. So we, we have a really nice craft cocktail, uh, our craft beer selection now. Um, I guess it's all in what you're into, man, right? So when we started... Like I was in love with craft beer, did my research. We had we had actually 45 beers Whoa. on our menu when we started this whole thing because I knew even though we had a license for spirits, it was going to be hard to move them. So since then, we've kind of branched out. We pared down our menu, but we have some really great selections. Um, we added a killer, killer wine list right now, including a captain's list, right? We always think to ourselves like we were nervous at first and we started doing the research. We started just pushing it and we said, why not? You know, why can't we carry – wine like they have at ocean prime like why not so if you want really exquisite wine and you want really good thai food i don't it might be the only place to go around here at least you know and um so we have some high-end clients that love that kind of stuff and we have you know table wine to drink if you just want something simple and that's kind of been our mantra so we have a, a same thing with our bourbon list and our whiskey list and stuff like that i mean you can drink you know a hundred dollar bottle of midwinter night's dram if you want, if you, if you're looking for a nice solid rye, or you can have you know a five dollar glass of Toki and have some beautiful, consistent Japanese whiskey. Mm-hmm. So kind of run the gamut of everything there and uh, try to be accessible. But I think that's what kind of separates us out from the <coughs> traditional Thai place, um, having those offerings as well. So, so where where did the uh, your kind of love affair with bourbon start? Because you. Fairly well known that you you do enjoy your bourbon. So I've always been uh, a lover of spirits altogether. Funny enough, I uh, cut my teeth bartending at Dave and Buster's in Utica. Shout out to those guys. I actually love working there. Um, And this was during the late 90s and 2000s when everything was sweet on sweet on sweet. Oh, it still is. (laughs) Oh, well. Still is at Dave and Buster's. But now there's little teeny bottles on top. (laughs) they They light stuff on fire or they're sparklers or yes. Really? Oh, yes. Lish loves Dave & Buster's. We go there probably every other month. (laughs) To drink? Uh, Yes. We only drink. We don't do anything else. (laughs) To do everything. No, it's still a cool place, and I still love those guys. Um, 
But it was just uh, it was different. So I started learning more. I wanted to learn my craft. So I started reading books about I started reading about spirits, you know, the A to Z alphabet about Armagnacs and all the way to something that starts with a Z. But it was um it just started growing and growing. I had a couple bottles of bourbon. We started making our way through things, stuff I fell in love with, wanted to learn more about. And uh shout outs to the uh Michigan Bourbon Club. I joined that club probably about five months ago. I probably owned a handful of bottles and tasted a, and a few more. I probably since joining that club tasted to the tune of about 165 bottles wow. easily, easily, easily. And, and our selection at the restaurant is probably about 50 bottles, if not more now because of it. And I know uh, we're running out of room. Part of the reason we need the bar, the, the, the girls up front are getting pretty upset every time I bring a new bottle in. Um, but there's just so much great stuff and um, it's super accessible for Thai food and people don't realize it. And um, like I said, something I, I love to kind of experiment with food and drink so much is just par for the course. Zinfandel. It's the best I can do. What, what Zinfandel? Zinfandel? What? There's not a lot of Z spirits. Oh, Zinfandel. Armagnac to Zinfandel. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, I lost my train of thought. Damn it, Nick. It's more important. Zinfandel. Um, this ocean is delicious. Yeah, it is. Both of those are the Russells. The the Russell Rye is really good too. I don't want to keep shouting out people, but this is a Zatuna store pick. Also, just so you know, it's not just um, a regular Zatuna's Troy, Troy, Rochester, right Rochester? down the right down the street. Who's Troy? Is that the O one? Nice. Okay, so let's go back to the food. A Wait, little the bit. Jeffersons or the Russells? The Jeffersons oh, okay, is the cool. Zatuna store pick. Sorry, you guys want to talk cool. about store picks? Uh, the best store pick I ever tasted, ever in my entire life was the Sugar House Eagle Rare pick. Oh, oh damn. Oh, my God. <laughs> Barrel number 10. Out of this world. That was a uh, – we got lucky with that one because we didn't go down there and pick it out. We're going in a couple of weeks to pick a Weller Antique and a Buffalo Trace. But uh, that was a short barrel. They only gave us three samples. The third one, that one was, I mean, so much different than the other two. It was just like, get these out of here. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it's like just under 12 years old. It's it's unreal. Great. It's unreal, you guys. Do, you can do a restaurant pick. Can you do, will you do a pick? Can you move? Can so you move I actually talked to my rep about doing that. She is uh, she's really excited that we started moving some of the bourbon. I've gone all in on Sazerac brands because I won't be able to sell across the gamut, especially now. At the next level, it might be different, but I went all in. Everything I carry pretty much is Sazerac brand to get us some of these special allocations. So um, we're really excited to be able to carry things like the Weller Antique. We're excited to carry the Special Reserve and the Blends and 1792, all that stuff um, for being a small Thai restaurant. Uh, it's kind of a feather what in our cap. What about that Harlan Wheatley vodka, though? Because that's really the only thing that matters. <laughs> I do not have that on the list. <laughs> Better think about that. Um, <laughs> Pro tip. But, um, but yeah, so we're, we're, we're so excited to um, have that opportunity. She did ask me want to do a store pick. I don't know if we're in uh, the realm right now. I think uh, after you fill up a barrel, how many how many bottles do you end up with? Like a hundred and fifty. No, there it's no. always different. The you know a Buffalo Trace pick is approved down to ninety, but again that Eagle Rare one that we got was only around one hundred and thirty. But I want to say they're anywhere from one ninety to two twenty. I know a Buffalo Trace we got two twenty four before. Um, I think a little less with the Eagle Rare just because it's a little older. At what? this rate, it would take me a hundred years to make well, two hundred twenty yeah. bottles. Yeah. Why don't you pair up? It's with in that the realm, bourbon? though. Pair up with the Bourbon Club, have them do a partnership, and have them take half, and you take half. That's a brilliant idea. They'll totally do it. 
I think that's uh, – I think once we get a new store and I get a few other things ironed out, uh, that's one of the things we actually were going to talk about because I, I think that would be one of our uh, one of our dreams there. Are you working with like a sommelier, bartender, like – or is this just all you, just like your love of spirits? You know, um, we do most of it ourselves. Um, we're really fortunate. I don't uh, – you know, I got I got a buddy of mine named Kevin who uh, is helping us with the bar. He's at a couple of bigger bars. You know, I didn't even talk to him before we came, so I don't want to kind of share his business. That's his own story where he's going and what he's doing. Um, he's a really awesome bartender, though, and he's helping us um, with some of our cocktails and um, with some of our bar setup. We've obviously given our input. Uh, he's a really bright guy. So, But rest assured, when the menus come out and stuff, his name will be all over it. And i um, happy to share. He's going to do some bar training with us. So Nice. Yeah. Then what about the wine program and the the beer? Is that so? The beer program's uh, pretty much strictly us. Fortunately, I've drank a lot of beer over the years <laughs> to be able to figure out what uh, what we're happy with. You know, I don't know if you guys have ever heard of it. Really interesting because sometimes they kind of like um, it's more of a blurred line. Leftfoot Charlie is this uh, winery in Traverse City. It's like one of the only urban wineries, but they make this cider called Cinnamon Girl. And hmm. if you never had, if you don't love hard cider. Cinnamon Girl is like the perfect crossover. It's like beautifully dry. It's almost under champagne pressure. It's so bubbly. And the cinnamon tastes really real. I was like, I have to have it. And they're like, oh, yeah, sorry. We, you know, we don't, we don't, we have no way for you to take it home. If I took it home in a growler, it'd be dead in a couple of days. Um, and I just begged them. I kept calling them back. I'm like, we have to have this. And so they bottled the first Cinnamon Girl ever for us in 750s. They said, all we have is two cases. I said, I'll take them both. And if you're going to move a hard cider for like 25 bucks a pop, it's going to be a hard sell. And they sold out in like a week. So we asked them again. They bottled in 500 milliliter bottles. And since then, we've got some kegs set up now. But um, we've always carried them. So there's certain brands that just like click with us and make sense. The flavors fit. Their story fits. Um, I I love meeting the winemaker. His name is Brian over there. He's really passionate about what he did. And uh, it was cool to be able to add those people on. So many times you see, especially where we're at, you know, there's, like I said, there's more commercial. So it's, it's a lot more the big name brands just all over the tap handles. And it's an opportunity for us to do something I think the suburbs need more of. They need more of that variety. And they need these brands that actually mean something that, that have, you know, something more to offer, I guess. So you don't have to answer this question if you don't want. Are you getting pressure? To put the big name brands on there from reps? No, those, uh, I'll be honest, those reps don't, um, they don't know about us. They don't really care too much about us. I don't, I don't carry some of the big name brands at all. So I don't even think they know we exist, um, which is fine with me. You know, some people like that too. So I'm not bagging on that. Mm-hmm. We, we carry a couple things in a bottle if they're interested. Um, but what our girls are selling and what um, we're pushing and what we're introducing. And doing the educational part on is is the more worthwhile stuff in our opinion because um, there's a place for that. Sometimes you need an ice cold lager, right? A lot of those Asian beers are the same way. Mm-hmm. You know, they're lager style beers and it's 100 degrees in Thailand. So you just want something to wash it down. Same thing with the Japanese beer we carry and stuff. But then on the other end, there's something more interesting. We carry like Hitachino's Nest and you get a red rice ale that's brewed in the style of sake. Yum. So it's going to taste different. There's a white ale with coriander, right? And some of that. The ginger. You know, exactly. Yeah. So – um, so you can cover both. And then as far as our Y program goes, um, we're really pleased with that. Uh, Ted Ross uh, from Jackson Family Wines is pretty much our main guy on that. And we've done a lot of testing and a lot of research. And he 
has helped put together a beautiful wine list. So uh, really accessible, covers a little bit of everything. We're Michigan-based on a lot of great whites. Um, we're California-based on a lot of great reds. And then we have some stuff from overseas. So like I said, we have uh, we have a few Italian wines, a few <laughs> French wines. You know, we don't have a ton of them because uh, the cuisines don't match up exactly. We want to make sure people aren't just buying to buy. But, um, but yeah, but we have a great program with him so far. It's good that you mentioned, you know, supporting people behind the products because that's something that I believe in and we try to do at the Sugar House, although in the spirits. I mean, it's one of the reasons why we were big fans of Smooth Ambler. We met those guys and we had uh, – we've had them at the Sugar House. I mean, super humble. Same thing when we when ultimately picked the Valentine Barrel and got to know Justin the Stiller. And when you get to actually support – for me, it's when you have a great product and a great people and you can support all that, you know, it works really well. Same long road. You know, we've had John and Kyle – on here before as well so that's really cool when you're talking about you know like the cinnamon girl and getting to know people behind the behind the product yeah and when you do those events too it it does something else it's like while we're small eight years ago when we opened and no joke we were seeing seven customers in a day and you were taking home 150 bucks in the till right it's like a big deal for those that got on board and you know we brought ted on as our wine guy, because he'd been eating at the restaurant for four or five years, and he never bothered me about it. And when I told him I was ready for a change and I went to him, he said, let's do it. And it was cool to have someone that knew our program already, knew what we had to offer. It's a giant wine company, guys. Obviously, you know Jackson Family Wines, an enormous company. Everyone knows Kendall Jackson. Uh, their Chardonnay sells more than any American Chardonnay for the last, I don't know, 20 years or something, something insane. And for him to give us the same kind of business and the same kind of time as one of his big accounts meant a lot to me. So now as we've grown and we're buying way more cases of wine, you know, I only I try to go all in with my companies so we can move a lot of product for them and so we can show them that we're worth supporting the other way. I try to be a good steward of the products we carry because they have a story to tell just like us. And when we do that stuff, man, he, he got the numbers back. And it's like it, for that company, for what we do, we're moving as many bottles as you'd be surprised. Some big name restaurants in the city. And that's because of that's because of their story. And that's because of our our connection to them, if that makes sense. And so who's doing the training to kind of like enlighten your waitstaff on how to sell these products that historically aren't sold it to most Thai restaurants. Yeah, so we've broken a lot of molds that way. Once you get people on board, once you get people buying into the concept and the idea that you can do that, that you can sell desserts at an Asian restaurant, that you can uh, sell bourbon at an Asian restaurant, once they buy into that idea, it's like the sky's the limit. So we constantly do testing. Um, Megan is uh, my front of the house manager, and it's our goal to sit down. We try to sit down like once every two weeks and go, okay, what's new? What's coming up? What can we take off the list and rotate in? And what do they need to know? So we'll every once in a while, Ted will come in. We'll do like a wine som deal, and he'll show how to do service right. Kind of exciting that a tiny Thai restaurant in Shelby Township is doing bottle service like a wine sommelier. And and those girls know. I mean, one of our servers, Amanda, was she was eighteen and she knew more about wine and how to serve wine than all the twenty and thirty year olds that I knew. And it was so impressive to me because she wasn't even drinking it. And um, it was cool to see them want to move that product, but they, they just wanted to give people those experiences. So many people don't even know what Gewurztraminer is. It's our best pairing wine for all of our food. 
I put it on the menu for like 25 bucks. We don't even make much money on it because I want them to have the best pairing possible, accessible, and like no one orders it. They're like so afraid to do it. We got to like goad them into doing it. Um, you, you know why that is, right? Why is that? It's hard to say. It, 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 probably. People think it's sweet too. People think it's sweet and it's hard to say. Yeah. Like, and there, the combination there, is, yeah. Yeah. It, it's, like, it's like the like death, death nail. If you just have your service offer like a sample. Like, mm. Yeah. I mean it's like – it's strange to say, like, like G money. No, hundred percent. Name it something else. Oh yeah, name it G money. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, because I I get why it's a it's a it's a great pairing because it has some acidity, it has some sweetness, it has like the balance of like hundred percent, hundred percent. Yeah, it's and one of my just... absolute faves. So so that is our job. That's our job to educate people and try to get them going towards more of those things and like have those experiences. That is the cool thing, though. Over time. Our service have built so much trust with our guests. It's so important that they have that connection, right? They, if they're going to branch out and have more food, from our point of view, right, to get more business, we need them trying more food so they come in more often. That's obvious to us. But on the other end, the more experiences they have, we see so many guests come back in with their friends and start explaining what they just learned the week before with, with one of us, right? And they're like – they get to be in charge of the table and the conversation. It makes them feel good because they learn something too. And then you see those guests bring in their friends and do the same thing. So it's our job to keep educating them on other things. And that's where you know, bourbon was probably our biggest challenge. I mean a ton of people don't know in the first place. But when they see somewhere that has a list and they have a decent list and your servers are armed with the knowledge to, to help find that pairing or to sell it, um, they get an opportunity to kind of learn something themselves, and that's way more powerful than anything else we can do in a restaurant. Now, w- with the bourbon, especially, are you are your servers presenting like bourbon as a like a before dinner drink, an after dinner drink, or are they actually pairing it with the food itself? Yeah, so it depends on what kind of mood people are in. Um, just like bubbles, man, I'm starting to get really heavy into bubbles. We yeah. just had that champagne pairing. As we, as you guys all know, obviously bourbon's good before. It's good after. And there are certain ones that are great with your meal, and that's why we did the pairing. First time we ever did our bourbon pairing, I said, I wonder if I could sell it. It's going to have to be more expensive than our other pairing events. Wine and beer is you know, decidedly cheaper in a lot of ways or inexpensive, I should say. Could we sell 35 seats in a Thai restaurant doing a $75 bourbon pairing? And that made us nervous because we'd have to close the restaurant to do it. And if we only sold half the seats, that's only half the business. And after we did some of that research, I said, you know, let's try it. I'm going to put it up. I'm going to do a test one, 12 people, and see if it sells. And it sold out in 15 minutes. And I was like, this is a good sign. So we did it for our bigger group, and it was like a hit. We found some pairings that were great. We got to do some food that wasn't on the menu, which people, of course, love. We got to give them a little explanation. We got to share. It wasn't all bourbon. We did – we did Toki. I like doing um, – Suntory is a pretty good, pretty good brand. I like doing Toki. I like the Yamazaki. It's Japanese-style whiskey, right? So it already lends itself to a lot of this food. Uh, the Japanese are going wild right now for highballs, right? They mix it with soda, mix it with ginger, give it a little bit. And so it fits with the food very well. So I guess it depends on what kind of mood you're in, and that's their job to find out. If they want to do some pairings, we have some pairings. If they want it beforehand or afterwards, we have an answer for all those things. So. So you mentioned that you do this pairing with some off-menu dishes. How often do you, does your menu change? Does it ever change? So we uh, – yeah, sometimes the 
sometimes the chefs and the cooks in the back want to do something different. I want to keep my menu completely traditional. So everything on the regular menu is all traditional Thai food. Pretty much stays the same. A few items will come off and a few items will go on every six months or a year. Try not to change it too much. And then our specials menu is for more experimental food or more um, fusion food. You know, we try to serve really traditional food all the time. I don't want to be known as the place that does like all the fusion food, right? But our specials menu is something for people to try out. Like right now, we're <laughs> we're pushing because um, it's summertime. We're pushing shrimp tacos, and people are like, "Wow, that's strange. Why are you having shrimp tacos at a Thai restaurant?" So we're like, "Well, how can we make this Asian inspired? We'll we'll do a red cabbage slaw instead, right? We're gonna make an aioli with uh, Penang curry to give it some zip and make it change a little bit. Um, we walk." We walk fire the the shrimp that goes in it, and cilantro and lime fit with so much of our food profile. It kind of makes sense. Same thing. We, I mean, you guys, we put on like a Thai style poutine because poutine was really hot. It sold like crazy, and it's still the same thing. But it has to make sense. Potatoes already in masaman curry. Right. Peanuts already in masaman curry. Beef tastes great with masaman curry. So if you cover French fries with masaman curry and do some crushed peanuts and do some green onions and do some beef, it's the same dish. You know, they think it's something else. But honestly, if they got it in a bowl and ate it with rice, it would be the same thing. So it's got to make sense. We're not just throwing food out there to throw food out there, but um, give us an opportunity to kind of do some different things. We did brunch for a little while too, some Thai-inspired items. You could always get papaya salad, always get pad thai, but we want to do some fun things too. So, But uh, the main menu doesn't change too much, just a couple dishes here and there over the year. Let's go back to the brunch thing. What was the Thai brunch like? So Thai brunch was interesting. It was a lot more work than I thought it would be. Do, do Thai people eat different things for the different meals? Yes, 100%. Okay. 100%. So when you're like in Thailand and you wake up in the morning, um, the closest thing you get to American-style food is um, like a Thai-style eggs. It's almost like an omelet. Um, it's called uh, kai chiao. And it's really good. Man, you guys, when, next time, I know I've had Joe out there before. <laughs> if you can come out to the restaurant, I can make you some really cool stuff that's like a little bit off the beaten path. But that's probably the closest thing, that, that egg omelet. But otherwise, man, they're eating white rice with every meal. Mm-hmm. They're eating something, a salty meat to balance with the white rice. And that's, that's what we'd eat. We'd eat a couple things, a steak or pork in the morning with some rice, and you get going with your day. And that's it. We'd eat some soup or some noodles for lunch and for dinner and some fresh fruit always or something like that and call it a day. So hmm. so your Thai brunch was like like salty meat and rice. So our Thai brunch. So we did the, <laughs> so we did the eggs. Um, we had that on there. Um, we did, like I said, you always get pad thai. People love pad thai. We did the papaya salad, which is kind of cool. That's good any time of the day. Um, we did some more of the fusion food for it. So we would do like uh, – we did like a, a bao benny. Mm, or wow. you know, or we would do like a curried lobster bisque or something like that okay. instead. And so they were kind of fusion dishes as well. We do like different spicy salads and things like that. No, no masaman pancakes. No masaman pancakes. <laughs> I, I mean, don't. It would work, wouldn't it? I don't know. Maybe, Maybe. <laughs> now you make me want to try. <laughs> I feel like you could make a sweet curry pancake. Yeah, I'm like, saying. I mean, you you wouldn't have to go crazy with it, but I, I, I've been known to put curry powder in my like smoothie in the morning. This is going to sound crazy. I don't know if I've ever made a pancake, you guys. Really? Hmm. Not a big crepe, sweet breakfast guy. Crepe, pancake, nothing? No, I've never made a crepe for sure. Wow. Huh. I've probably only eaten two crepes <laughs> in my life. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you're going from a 35-seat restaurant to how, how big is the new 
How many people are going to seat? With the bar, I think the bar will have 12 seats. We're going to be looking at like 75. Ooh. So it's, it's, a, it's a jump, which is good. Like I said, we need it. We're, um, we're desperately running out of room in that kitchen. And so with Thai restaurants, I feel like carryout's a huge part of your business. What's, what's the, like, the breakdown percentage-wise between carryout and, and dine-in? Yeah, so fortunately, dine-in has been making uh, a surge, which is what we want, right? We always talk about things from two different perspectives. On the business side, I want to be able to upsell people. But on the guest side, you get a more full experience when you dine in. And I think people take that for granted sometimes. I don't think they realize how important it is. We put – it sounds so silly. Everything we did was for a reason. So the restaurant's name, the full name is Comb Fi Thai Dining Experience. And the idea is we want you to get more than just two entrees in a carryout and go home. We want you to have that – pre-dinner drink. We want you to get that appetizer. We want you to get your entrees. We want you to get dessert. One of the biggest things people always ask when they come in for the first time, they say, what should I get? Or if I'm going to come visit your restaurant, what should I get? And my answer is always the same. My wife and I decided this a long time ago. No matter what you get, the answer is a whole bunch of courses. And it doesn't matter. You don't have to spend a bunch of money. If you're on, like, uh, if you're on a budget crunch, we go, we'll get an appetizer split, an entree to split, and two drinks. Because we want three different experiences while we eat. Spring rolls are $1.50. Everyone adds on a spring roll. If you come during lunch, hot and sour soup is free. You have two different experiences and your entree. For 10 bucks. basically, you're getting three different experiences. And that's the most important part. And we want people to get that dessert. We want people to get just – those people leave much happier. I'm telling you, if you see people go in there, they get two entrees, they stare at each other, they they eat, they box their food up. The other thing is American-style dining is dynamically different than what we offer and what a lot of uh, ethnic foods and what a lot of minorities are used to. American-style dining is come in, I'm going to order my food the way I want it, I'm going to get it with this, minus this, plus this, I'm going to eat as much as I want, I'm going to take it home, and I'm going to eat it for lunch tomorrow. And I think, I mean, Joe, I'm sure you know, we order a whole bunch of dishes and we pass everything around the table. And you're pushing the food that's left over to people, someone else to take home. And I feel like that happens more with people that have dined out a lot. So, like, if I go out to eat with a bunch of people that are experimental, we're all going to want to try 10 different things. So that's exactly what we're going to do. But, yeah, I've totally seen it where people are just like, yeah, they get exactly what they want. They put their ketchup on it and they're, they're thrilled. And sometimes that's Probably fine. More like me. I mean, if, and if that's what you want and that makes them happy, that's perfectly fine for everyone else or for people that don't know. If that's all they've ever been exposed to, we want to give them an opportunity to see something else, to experiment and try something else. We want to give them a full dining experience that maybe they haven't had before. And that's why we say whenever someone comes in, man, it's, it's not always about what you order. It's sometimes about how you order. You know, And I don't think we – talk about that enough or think about that enough when it comes to a dining experience that's it's it's so important it is the the full the full experience part of the menu can someone come in and your menu says like you know pick one from this section pick one from this section pick one from this section or is that something that you put on the shoulders of the guest so that's something we try to put on the shoulders of the servers okay it's their job to sell that experience to them. And like I said, and, and not selling a way like to spend a lot of money, selling a way to make sure when they leave, they were very, very happy. And, you know, we did talk about this. So there are some different things. I don't like the idea of um, like pick two menus and stuff like that. Um, now there's anything wrong with it. There's a time and place for everything. So 
don't misconstrue what I'm saying. It right. just doesn't fit what we do. Um, so I'd rather the servers in like an organic way through finding out what a guest is interested in, what their experiences are, what they're looking for, give them that well-rounded experience that way. And um, now we've done some of that in the past. We do pre-fee menus sometimes for events or for like certain times. We've also kicked around the idea because I love certain beers that are in bombers only and it's hard to sell bombers to single people, especially if you want to be responsible in your alcohol service, um, to do a menu that's already prepared with three different styles of bombers Mm. where they go down decidedly different paths based on what they pick. So they share one bomber. They each get an appetizer to share. They each get an entree that they can share, but there's two of them, right? A dessert to split that will all match what they're doing. So that's as close as we've ever gotten to something like that. Um, I'm going to assume that most people know this, but a bomber is a large format beer. Yeah, 22 ounce. Yeah. Yep. Correct. Just in, <laughs> case. just in case. If someone out there in listening land has no idea what a bomber is, I just want to let you know. That one person out there is nodding. So. <laughs> it's my mother. So um, you keep saying dessert. Let's talk. What's it, what's Thai dessert? So Thai desserts. Okay, this is the okay. All right, you got me in the spot I had here. One that was great. Um, <laughs> our desserts are uh, more Americanized. It's the only thing people want: sweet endings. <laughs> thai desserts are usually not typically just sweet. They're usually warm and sometimes salty. So I know it sounds no, kind of strange. That sounds super interesting. It is. It's all very interesting. There's uh, so for events we'll do traditional Thai desserts, but for our Which normal, nope, nope. So you got, you got to say uh, so like something called boy loy okay. is like uh, tapioca pearls that is um, simmered in coconut milk, and it's warm. It's like eating warm cereal milk with tapioca bubbles. Okay, so yeah. I'm, so something that's interesting. Um, but a lot of uh, our guests are looking for a sweet ending, and we like that idea too, personally. So we've got like, a, you know, we've got like a brownie sundae. We've got a fried ice cream, which is really good. Um, it's not like a Mexican fried ice cream. Is it like a curried brownie or just like straight up? No, like it's just, straight, <laughs> straight up it's just a delicious fudgy brownie. Um, but we do carry things like mochi ice cream. It's a Japanese style ice okay. cream dessert that's really interesting. Um, that's what I had. Kind of a crossover. Yeah, Those are good. Be, yeah. Um, coconut ice cream, stuff like that. So, I mean, there are some crossovers, but we do have decidedly Americanized desserts. What's the, the curled the curled ice cream? Which um, The rolled ice cream? The rolled ice cream, yeah. Who does that? You know, I've seen them do that in Thailand, but I don't Is know if Thailand? that's native to any place. Okay. Yeah, I mean, just they do novelty. it in uh, Lebanon. It, it's, too, so yeah, right. it's native yeah. to Partridge Creek. If you go in there, I think they have a new, <laughs> <laughs> new rolled ice cream uh, creamery in there. So, uh, Isaiah, when is the uh, – what's the projected move date? So we are shooting for September. We were shooting for August um, as things normally go. There's nothing in the building, so it's a little more tedious than the last one. And when I say nothing, I mean there's no power. There's no gas lines. There's no. It's, it's, like, a, it's like an empty shell. It's empty. Okay. Empty. So uh, we're shooting for September, though, and we think we'll be ready to go by then. And uh, when we get there, we're going to be doing, obviously, a soft open and some private seatings. And we are really pumped to share it with you guys. Is it so – it's a move, so is, there, is it going to be seamless? Or are you guys going to like close at some point the the Shelby location and not not be have a couple weeks where you're just? We're hoping to be closed for no more than a week. Great. Yeah, I I don't know if I could afford to be closed a month. <laughs> <laughs> so where can people find you online? So we do all of our stuff uh, through social media. We're big into social media, and I run the whole thing. So when you see someone on my Snapchat, everything at Comfy on Snapchat, Facebook. Instagram, Twitter, whatever it is, um, I run all those things, and they all have a little bit different goal. I try to feature something that uh, each of those, if you live in those places, you're getting the content that you want in those places. So Awesome. Isaiah, thanks for being with us. 
Yeah, it's my pleasure. My mouth is still on fire. Yeah, mine too. Jesus. But I like it. I'm you like it. it. 